Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs and chapter number 30, the book of Proverbs and chapter number 30. As we are continuing with the life and ministry of Solomon, we have been witnessing as Solomon has put together the temple for the Lord, dedicated the temple, has prayed, watched God appear to him two times. Now we're witnessing as Solomon is taking this reign and he's taking it seriously. God has granted him much wisdom and he's taking time to share his wisdom with his son and taking time to also write this down so that way it can be shared with others that all of these years later 3,000 years later we can still glean from the knowledge that God had given to Solomon in the book of Proverbs chapter number 30 uh, it becomes a unique proverb because it becomes a lesson in chapter 30 chapter 31 is also a unique proverb where it's his mother teaching him In Proverbs 30, however, this is a young Solomon, probably writing his first batch of of Proverbs. And so this is why we're placing it in the series here, that Solomon, as he's writing this Proverbs, writing these lists to try to give instructions, we see some things that he is placing an emphasis on dealing with wisdom. So if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, and notice with me in verse 1. The Proverbs <coughs> chapter 30, in verse 1, the Bible says, The words of Agar, the son of Jekah, even the prophecy unto or, <coughs> the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Uchel. Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. Neither learn, ne- I neither learn wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist, or who hath bound the waters in his garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What? is his name and what is his son's name if thou can tell every word of God is pure he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him add thou not unto his words lest he reprove thee and be found a liar two things have I required of thee deny me them not before I die remove far from me vanity and lies Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord, or uh, the name of my God in vain. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Proverbs chapter 30? The book of Proverbs chapter 30 in verse number three, I want you to notice the phrase, knowledge of the holy. Knowledge of the holy. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to retitle it just a bit and talk about knowing God. Knowing 
God, this knowledge of the holy, knowing God. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we approach this passage of scripture, that you would open it up in a special way that would help us to see you high, holy, and lifted up, that we would learn more about you and who you are, some of these attributes, and that we'd have a desire to have a personal knowledge of you, an experiential knowledge of you that you would just do something wonderful, opening up our eyes and open up our minds, open up our hearts to wisdom and knowledge of you. Once again, you magnify your own name through your word. Fill me with your spirit. You do your own work that we'd walk away saying, what a great God and that I want to know you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Solomon is writing this, even though he is writing under a different pen name. Notice this, the words of Agar, the son of Jachish. Here, this is Solomon who's making a play on words. He's given himself a different uh, pen name here, which uh, this name has a different meaning. The word Agar means compiler. And the word Jekka means obedient or pious. And so he said, I am a compiler of, uh, of pious words. Basically, it's a different way of saying I'm, a, I'm a putting together proverbs. I'm, I'm gathering up these little statements of wisdom. I'm putting these together. And in this little exercise, he is taking two of his students, um, Ithiel and Ukiel. Ithiel means God is with me, and Ukiel means I shall be able. It is thought that these names are symbolic of the moral character of those who receive judgment. So here, Solomon is removing himself out of the way and giving a different name and say, I'm the compiler of these statements of wisdom. And I'm taking my two students and I'm giving you these statements of wisdom. I'm giving you these things so you could be able to survive on your own, to be able to seek God for your own, to be able to have the wisdom that you know. And so in this exercise here, the book of Proverbs chapter 30, you could just imagine a classroom setting of a wise man who is just teaching these students, giving them knowledge, telling them more about God, so that way they can continue in their own walk with him. As Solomon is also given a description of himself, notice with me verse 2. It says, surely I am more brutish than any man. This statement here is a given a reflection of Solomon's humble view of himself as he first came to the throne and he felt so unequipped to God guide God's people. Once again, this is one of the reasons why we believe this was written early in Solomon's reign, because he's still going, wow, how do I do this? I'm now king over all these people, and they're not my people, they're God's people. I meant, who in the world am I? I meant, this is a big responsibility. What do I do? I am not equipped for this. I'm not prepared for this. I am not able. I need God's help. I need God to do this. I need experience. And of course, you can imagine that anyone growing up in the shadow of King David would definitely feel ill-equipped. Could you imagine what it'd be like that? Here is my dad, David, the man after God's own heart. Sure, he had issues, but the one thing that he never wavered, there's always a God. <laughs> there's a real God. You, you're going to answer before him. You could imagine Solomon growing up with David talking about what God has done for him all the time. And you could hear Solomon eavesdropping on his dad praying and talking to the preacher. And now that David's gone and he's all by himself and, oh, how do I do this? 
how do I work with these people? I mean, I am no David. I realize this. Notice, as he says this statement, that I'm more brutish than any man, he's indicating this idea that it's a word picture that I am inferior than an, un, uh, than an educated man. I don't have the understanding. I don't have, have uh, everything that I need. He says, surely I'm more brutish than any man and have not the understanding of a man. This is carrying the idea that he lacked the good sense that an ordinary man had. Uh, we would say common sense, except sense isn't common anymore. But I don't have the basic idea. I mean, ordinary folks can have a basic sense of what they're supposed to do. I don't even have that. I feel so unequipped. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt like, how in the world am I supposed to do this? Maybe as some of you are starting to teach a class or do discipleship or do a Bible study and you come up, you got the Bible materials and you go, what am I doing? <laughs> how, how do I get this across? I mean, the, you know, it's one thing to be able to teach someone, but to realize I'm teaching them the Bible and their walk with the Lord is going to be influenced by what I say. This, this is a big deal. I, how, how do I do this? I'm sure many parents have gotten to the place where they look at their kids and go, what in the world? What? <laughs> I don't know what to do with you. How do, how do, how do I do with this? And, and they hit the different phases and you reset. <laughs> what do I do? I just finally got used to them being five and now they're 15. <laughs> they're not the same. You just feel unequipped. You feel like I don't know what to do. I, I don't have the normal sense that it seems everyone else has. I don't have it. And Solomon saying, I need help. I need help. How do I do this? How do I rule? How do I teach? How do I influence? How do I work with others when I don't feel like I'm equipped? I feel like I'm standing up here and they should be teaching me. I feel like I'm standing here and someone else can surely do a better job than I am. What do I do? How do I fix this? How do I stand up? And that's a good question. And by the way, that's a great position to be in. Because that's where you realize I need help. I can't do this. Where do I get the help that I need? And it comes from this idea that we're going to see here. Of knowing God. Knowing God. Having a personal knowledge of God. And realizing that he's the one that can do this. He's the one that can help. Which now brings us to the first point. All that was introduction. Giving the sense of here. And now as Solomon has continued to write. The first thing that we see. Is the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Notice with me if you don't mind. In verse 3. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath descended up to heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in his garment? Who hath established the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name if thou could tell? Solomon goes up and starts off saying, I'm not equipped. I don't have enough. But you know, the one thing that would equip me is not more education. It's not more classes. It's not more time. It's if I could get to know God, I could do what God's given me to do. To know him, 
to understand him, to learn the wisdom, to hear and understand the knowledge of God. Which brings us to this thing, because he's saying, I don't know God the way that I should, but I do know God. Who is he? And we learn something, a a special attribute of God, a characteristic of God, is that one of the attributes of God is that God is both knowable and unknowable. That God is both knowable and unknowable. You say that sounds like a contradiction. It is not. That God is both knowable and knowable. What, What does that mean? Well, first of all, God is knowable. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know about him experientially. He wants us to know him personally. He doesn't want us just to know facts and figures. He wants us to know of him, to learn of him, to learn by him by experience. To know God is not just learning what shoe size he wears or what time suit he likes to wear or how does he part his hair. Now we understand we're talking about God, but you understand people want to learn about facts and figures. God doesn't want you to know simply about facts and figures. He wants you to know him personally. We understand we use that word knowing For example, you can know things about George Washington, but you do not know about George Washington personally. Like, what type of humor did he have? What what kind of statements did he say over the time over and over? How did he talk? How did he phrase things? How did he pray? Those are things that you would have to know by experience, being with him, things that you would not pick up from a book. God doesn't want you to be just satisfied with book knowledge about God. Now, of course, the Bible's wonderful and wonderful, and you should spend time in it, but we shouldn't read it as a textbook. What we're doing is we should be seeking God from it. God, I want to know more about you. We know that with any married couple, when a couple gets married and says, wilt thou, and they wilt, and wilt thou, and the other one wilts, and both of them agree, that they do not know everything about each other the next day. There's a process where they learn about each other. And over time, they learn more things about them. They learn about what they like and what they don't like. They learn the basics of what colors they like and what colors they don't like. But then you learn a little bit more. What type of things annoy them? What type of things do they like? What little subtle things do they have? Do they like to have the pillows facing up? Do they like the bed cold? You know, you learn more and more things about that. That only comes from experience. For example, if someone was going to bite, write a biography about my wife, they would not include on there how cold she likes the bed. Right? That's not details. But those are intimate details that I would know as I get to know her personally. Well, God is knowable. You can know God personally. You can spend time with God personally. That it's not that God's so far away. God is close and he wants you to spend time with him. He desires for you to spend time with him. God created man in the first place for fellowship. Sin broke that fellowship, but when Jesus died on the cross, he died to restore that fellowship. God wants 
friends. He wants fellowship. He wants people to spend time with him. And you can know him. There are things that you will only know about God as you walk with him and spend time with him. And as you learn about him, you begin to learn his sense of humor. You begin to like his likes and dislikes. You begin to uh, learn more about the things that's important to him. As you spend time with him in prayer, in Bible reading, as you spend time with him. Now, the other part of that attribute of God is that God is both knowable and unknowable. That idea of unknowable means that you can never know everything about God. There's always more to find out, always more to discover, always more to learn about, always more things to go say, wow, I just learned this about God and I've been saved a hundred years. This is wonderful. There's still more things to find out about God. There's still more things that make you go, wow, more things to surprise. What that means is that you can never get bored of God. You can never get to the place where you say, I know everything about God. There's so much more to learn. That means you could spend an entire lifetime of chasing after Jesus, pursuing after him, seeking after him. And still find there's more to learn, more to discover, more exciting things to find out about God. That God is both knowable and unknowable. We can know more about him. In fact, notice this if you don't mind. And verse 4. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the winds in his fist? Now the answer to all of this is God. Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? Then notice this. And what is his name? What is his name? One of the great fascinating studies of the Bible is to study the names of God. Because when you learn someone's name, you learn more about an intimate detail. The more that you have attached to it. For example, my wife's name is Leah. When you say that name, there's a certain feeling, understanding, things that come to mind when you say her name. Well, the more that you learn about God and his names and learn about all the different parts of his name, you begin to learn more details about God and it becomes a lot more special. And there's a lot of names mentioned in the Bible. We know that you have God's proper name, which is God, which is listed in the Bible as G-O-D in the Old Testament. The word Elohim, this carries the idea of God's proper title, that he is God, the self-sufficient one. Inside of the Bible in the Old Testament, you will have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is God's personal name of Jehovah. This is a powerful, intimate name. It's like knowing And having permission to know someone's first name because you have familiarity with him. And the way that it is used is that familiar terms, a very powerful term. Then you have capital L-O-R-D, lowercase o-r-d, that is Adonai, carries the idea of master. That God is our master. He's the one that we obey. He's the one that has rank over us. Then you start to put those different combinations together. Jehovah Jireh. The God who supplies. You have the name of God, the Lord of hosts, which carries the idea, the captain of all of the armies of heaven. And that is used quite often in the Bible in the Old Testament, dealing with people who are fearing because of enemies around them. Listen, I have the Lord of hosts. He has more 
people on his side than they have of their side. I don't have to worry about those enemies of the Syrians, Assyrians, Babylons, Persians, whatever else. I have the God of all of the hosts of heaven. I like that. I'm on his side. When you start to learn his names, they become powerful. Who, what is his name? To be able to have a knowledge and the permission to use God's personal names and to know more about him is a big deal. But then notice what it said. I want to remind you that we're in the Old Testament now, approximately 1000 BC. And it says, what is his son's name? If thou can tell. Do you know that Solomon was writing and he understood that God had a son and his name is Jesus? He says, did you know that God has a son? All the way back 1,000 years before Jesus Christ was robed in flesh in Bethlehem, Solomon's writing about the son of God. What is his son's name? Why did, how did he know about that? Because he knew Jesus personally. He knew about Jesus. In fact, the Old Testament saints knew about Jesus personally. Who do you think Adam walked with in the cool of the garden? Jesus. Who do you think Enoch walked with? Jesus. Who do you think Moses saw and talked to? Jesus. Who do you think Abraham talked to? That Abraham was called three times in scripture, the friend of God. Who was he talking with? Who was he walking with? Who did he eat supper with? Jesus. You see, they had a personal knowledge of Jesus. Over and over in the New Testament, you'll see where people will say, hey, you know when David's writing about this, who he's talking about? Jesus. How come he could write about Jesus? Because David knew who Jesus was. Solomon knew about Jesus. Now again, this is part of that experiential knowledge of Christ that we're seeing in the Old Testament. That before there's any Old Testament revelation about Jesus, they knew who Jesus was because they knew him personally. Isn't that amazing? That they had a knowledge of God. So Solomon's starting off and says, listen, I'm king and I'm not prepared. I don't know how to be prepared. But you know what? I'm going to get to know God. It's his people, his thing. I'm just going to learn more about God and that's going to help me. How, how are you going to survive teaching a class, discipling, moving forward, teaching children? I get to know God. He's going to equip. That's what I need to do. I need to know more about him. A second thing that we understand here is not only the knowledge of God, but we also learn more about the basis of how to know God, the word of God, the word of God. Notice with me in verse five, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust in him. Now, why is this placed in here? Because we know that every book of the Bible reveals, tells us something about who God is. In fact, that is the whole purpose of the Bible. The whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. If you want to know about God, you know him through his word, through the Bible. That is how you get to know God. So if it is important to put the statement, the word of God is pure. It's exactly what God has given us to do. It's why we get very uh, cranky when people start messing with the Bible. Because when you start messing with the Bible, you start to mess with a picture of who God is. You start to mess with the information about who God is. In fact, we're not the only one who gets cranky over it. Notice with me verse 6. Add thou not unto his word lest he, God, reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. This is very interesting because this is a warning that God places in the middle of the Bible that says, don't 
mess with my word. This warning here is given in the beginning of the Bible, in the middle of the Bible, and in the end of the Bible. That God has given this warning (laughs) that don't mess with the Bible. In fact, let me show you how important this warning is. Look with me in the book of Revelation 22. We're coming back to uh, Proverbs 30, so don't uh, mess mess up your place. Revelation 22. Revelation 22. Revelation 22, and notice with me if you don't mind, in verse 18. Revelation 22 and verse 18. The very last book and the very last chapter and almost the very last verses of the Bible. Revelation 22, 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. If you could summarize this in one thing, if you mess with God's word, you're in trouble. Why is it important that people do not mess with the Bible? Because the Bible is how we learn about God. And when you mess with the Bible, you also mess with this revelation of who God is. You mess with this understanding of what God wants to reveal to us about who God is. We have this word of God. So as Solomon is starting off, admitting that I'm not prepared, I'm not equipped, I'm not able... How do I get able? How do I get prepared? How do I get to the place? I need to know God. I need to know who God is. I need to know him personally. How do I get to know him personally? By God's word. It's by God's word I know about this. And God doesn't want us to mess with his word because this is how I get to know God. We see one more thing here with this idea of knowledge of God. We know that belief affects behavior. The third thing I want to show you is the testimony for God. The testimony for God. We know that belief affects behavior. And so often we spend a lot of time trying to fix people's behavior. When we should be affecting their belief. Changing how they think. Changing how they see the Lord. Changing what they believe to be true about God. And allowing that to automatically change their behavior. As Solomon is now writing, saying, listen, I'm unequipped. I'm unprepared. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And so, in order to maintain my testimony, there's a couple things that I want to do. A couple things that I need um, help with. Notice with me verse 7. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. He says, listen, there's two things that I just need in order to me to maintain my life, in order for me to maintain my testimony, in order for me to keep seeking after God. Two things. He says, verse 8, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now think about this. He says, you want me to maintain a testimony for God? Remove me from poverty And keep me from being rich. Why? Well, he explains it. He says, feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Now listen to this. 
He says, listen, if I'm going to maintain a testimony for the Lord, I know me. He says, let me have food that's convenient for me, meaning that it's good for me. Uh, it's what I need, that type of thing. He says, don't let me have too much. Don't let me get too rich. Because if I get too rich, I'm not going to be seeking for God. I'm going to fail to look at him. I'm going to fail to realize my need of him. And I'm going to be full, happy, lazy, and don't need God. And when I don't need God, I'm no longer searching for him. And when I'm no longer searching for him, I'm not going to find him. When I don't find him, I'm not going to know him. And when I don't know him, I'm going to be ill-equipped to do what I'm supposed to do. He says, don't let me be too rich because I can't handle it. By the way, why do I place this right here? What happens to Solomon? He gets too rich. He fails to seek after God. And he starts allowing little G-gods to come into his life. Because he got too rich. And we're going to have a whole message about the riches of Solomon. I meant he was getting $1.2 billion in a year in exports. Now that's probably more money than you could use. And he got to the place where Solomon was so rich that they wouldn't even allow silver in his, uh, in his palace. Because, you know, everything has to be gold. Silver is just too, uh, too, too downstream for us. Can you imagine that, that you have golden dishes, golden forks, golden plates, that everything that you have is golden, you're served on golden platters. I mean, you, you can't have silver. I mean, they had so much gold in abundance that everything was made out of gold. And it was just an, a law, a statement, yeah, silver is just too petty for us. It's like someone collecting pennies. Yeah, pff, I don't need copper. I, that's out there. The rest of us who are poor will say, we'll take everything. And just get loaded on. Ah, nah, I don't need that. <laughs> I only pay bills in a thousand dollar bills. You know, hundreds. Just, pff, I, that's petty cash. That's like a penny to me. Forget that. I mean, that's too rich. I mean, for Solomon, probably us too. <laughs> I'm not going to seek after God there. If I if I don't have any need of God, I'm not going to look for Him. Just let me have just what I need, so I stay dependent upon Him. He says the other thing. Don't let me get too poor. Why? He says, or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Now, why is this important? Because God promised to provide for his children. And if he gets to the place where he gets too poor, he is going to be tempted to take matters in his own hand instead of trust that God could bring it across. Now, you take someone like George Mueller. George Mueller, who... Um, Never took an offering for the church, but he ran a orphanage and every day he would pray in bread, pray in food for the orphanage. Now, that's probably not the right way for us to run an orphanage to say, hey, listen, we don't have any food for the kids, but we'll take them and we're going to pray in the food every day that they have something to eat. You understand that's that's a lot of faith. A lot of people couldn't handle that. If you're at the place where you open up your cupboards and the mice are starving and you open up your refrigerator and you almost have to unplug it because it's been a long time since anything's been in there, you're tempted then to try to take matters in your own hands. What can I do to connive, steal, borrow? What do I have to do to survive? I'm no longer trusting in God. I feel like I have to take care of me. So Solomon says, don't let me get in either one of these things. Don't let me get in the place where I don't need God 
And don't let me get to the place where I feel like God's not going to supply and I have to take care of me. Why? Both of those will keep me from seeking after God. It's all about me knowing God. He starts off saying, I can't do this. I know I can't do this. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the smarts. I'm unequipped. How am I going to survive? How am I going to rule these people? How am I going to do a good job? It's by seeking after God. And I have to seek after God and know him, not facts and figures, but to know him personally. And I get to know him personally by his word. His word is what I need to know him. And in order to make sure I'm seeking after God, I need these two scenarios not to be in my life. I don't need to be too rich where I don't need God. And I don't need to be too poor where I feel like I have to take things in my own hands instead of trust God. I need to be at the place where I have to trust God, depend on God, know on God, have a reason to speak to him, have a reason to seek after him. That is the only way that I'm going to survive life. Now, this is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, who is being honest and say, this is where I'm at. And if we were to be honest, this is where we're at quite often. We look at our jobs and say, man, how am I going to do this? We look at the people that are working with us and say, how am I going to reach these cold hearted, bitter people? God, how am I going to reach my family who has no interest for the Lord? God, how am I going to convince my neighbors that they need to go to church? God, how am I going to raise my kids for the Lord? God, how am I going to teach a Sunday school class? I don't know anything. And by the way, if you ever teach a Sunday school class, quite often you open up the Bible and go, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> There's times as a pastor, I feel like that. I open up the Bible, I've studied all week. And go, all right, God, it's you now. It's I, That's a normal feeling. How do you survive? How do you do this? How do you do what God's given you to do? Knowing him personally. The secret of the Christian life is the never-ending pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That I may know him. The two greatest Christians, the two greatest believers of all time, Old Testament and New, Moses and Paul. And at the height, the zenith, the peak of each of the ministries God had given them, both of them had the same prayer request that I may know him. Moses, Exodus 33. In Exodus 33, God has already spoken to Moses of the burning bush. By Exodus 33, God has already sent Moses back and they saw the plagues upon Egypt. By Exodus 33, God has already opened up the Red Sea and allowed the children of Israel to cross on dry land. By Exodus 33, God has already gathered the people together And they have been heard from the very voice of God, the Ten Commandments. By Exodus 33, (laughs) they've already had the problem with the uh, golden calf and God getting upset with people. And you know what Moses still was saying after all of that? That I may know him. God, I don't know enough about you. There are still more I need to know about you. That I may know know you. We have Paul, New Testament writing, this same prayer, Philippians, that I may know him. By the time Paul had written this, God had already 
met him in the road to Damascus. May I do a little bit before that? Before this, Paul was already a teenager knowing teenage Jesus in the temple. By the time Paul is writing this in Philippian, Paul has already started close to 80-something churches. By the time this has started off, he has already made it. So uh, all of Asia, Turkey, had heard the gospel because of the work of the Apostle Paul. People get started. Two missionary, three mercenary journeys down. And now he's in jail at Rome. He's watched people work. He's watched God work. He's watched God answer prayers. God has already spoken to him several times. He's watched God intervene. And yet Paul at the height of after all of this said that I may know him. I don't know God enough. In order for me to survive, in order for me to continue what I'm supposed to do, I need to have the knowledge of God. So think about this. Moses, that I may know him. Paul, that I may know him. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, that I may know him. What should be the attitude of our heart? The never-ending pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That I may know him. May I ask you an honest question? Are you satisfied with your knowledge of God? Are you happy with what knowledge of God that you have and say, I'm good. I could just kind of float from here on out. The true Christian life is the never ending pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Continually seeking after him, chasing after him, desiring him that you may know more of him. Not just facts and figures, not just written doctrinal statements, but knowing him personally, that I may know him. Maybe I could ask it this way. Do you know God more right now than you did a year ago? Do you have a more intimate knowledge? Maybe I could say it this way. Are you closer to the Lord now than what you were one year ago? If not, may I say, search your hearts and ask this same prayer that Moses had. Paul had, Solomon is stating that I may know him. That God is both knowable and unknowable. That God is desiring fellowship. He wants you to know him personally and he wants to spend time with you. That I may know him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.